0: Welcome to episode thirty-six of the Night Gallery podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the uh, first story from episode six, season two. It's called "A Question of Fear," and um, it's the uh, first time that Jack Laird has ever directed, and is based on a um, a teleplay by Theodore uh, J. Flicker on a short story by Brian Lewis um, and is, uh, was first put, uh, put out in the world uh, first broadcast on October 27th 1971 Good evening and welcome to the Night Gallery Now if you'll just follow me your weekly excursion into the cultural. Painting, statuary, still lifes, collages, some abstracts, and some items in ice. That's not the technique. That hopefully is what we turn your blood into. A good way to begin the attempt, painting number one, about a man who spends a night in a haunted house, an unbeliever, if you will, who by dawn believes. The name of the painting is a question of fear. The name of this place is The Night Gallery. So our story, it begins in a, well, with a doctor, a doctor called Dr. Mazzy, who's in an exclusive men's club, you know, the kind of place. Lots of oak panels and dark wood and a, a billiard table in the corner. Mazzy is a—he's um, obviously somebody with influence and quite a bit of power, and he's a well. The, the character is played by uh, Fritz Weaver, and he's talking about a house and the nature of fear. And he said, "This there was something supernatural about this house—that it there was um, definitely something that was uh, different, unusual, and in his opinion, haunted." Um he's talking to a couple of men about it and um, in the end over from the other side of the room by the, the billiard table a man called Colonel Denny Denny Malloy who's uh, played by Leslie Nielsen is um, he pipes up that it's all cowardice all these ideas of spooks and specters is a nonsense and he doesn't re- this guy doesn't know what he's talking about are you a betting man Colonel Malloy? It depends. Would you bet on your courage? That's how I make my living. I still own that house. It's been boarded up ever since that night. I will wager you $10,000 that you will not be able to spend one whole night alone in that house without being frightened to death. <laughs> you must be joking. On the contrary, I'm calling your bluff. Bluff. All right, you're covered. You'll hold the stakes, gentlemen? With pleasure. I've got five more with Matzi. Gentlemen, I shall be delighted to take your money. You understand the terms of the bets. All you have to do is spend one whole night in that house alone without being frightened to death. For $15,000, I would survive a night in hell. (laughs) So with that, a wager is placed. Um, £15,000 is put down between the people around the table and um, basically uh, Malloy is well pleased with himself with this idea that he you know he's going to earn an easy book on other people's superstitions so rather confidently it hits nightfall and we see him entering into an old wooden boarded up house Uh, just stay the night he's just got a little little rucksack filled with his gear for the evening and uh, he's very cocky, to say the least. But once inside, it very much ki- it kicks off almost immediately. And it's almost re- relentless from there on in terms of what happens to-, to the colonel. The door slams shut behind him. He's unable to open it. There's moan and laughter and uh, blood on the floor. He's basically following a trail of uh, blood on the floor and slime as well as odds, viscous slime. that He doesn't quite grasp what it is and it's leading towards the basement. And when he gets down there, it all kicks off. He sees a an apparition's head, a greeny blue apparition's head that is floating in the air. And he sees uh, a ghost move towards him pulls his gun out and fires shots, and he empties his revolver into seemingly nothingness. He's shook up already, and he goes upstairs um, to, to calm down, to, to drink a coffee from a thermos. Um, he sits down and he drinks down, he's shaken, he's obviously experienced something already, which he's never experienced this before, this, this sense of fear. He's also beginning to feel dizzy he's fighting his own uh, where his head is he you know, grabs his head he, he looks at the floor a lot Malloy is um, then hears piano music from a different room and quickly toddles off to investigate to see what's going on um, when he gets there he sees a man at the piano then the sound's coming out of it and the guy turns around and his hands burst into flames. But you know, the colonel isn't is um, savvy. He's not stupid. He knows something's wrong. Something's going on. And uh, he spots a a, a a gas pipe that's leading to 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 what is a blatantly a doll in truth, and uh, cuts it, finishes the fire, and then realizes that uh, Doctor Mazzi has uh, rigged the house to go off basically whenever you know just to scare him to scare him um so he wouldn't be able to stay the night um oh indeed you know mel i think it's unlikely that obviously the Count doesn't think he's going to die from his uh, from fright but um you know that he'd he'd leave the leave the house screaming and lose the money he's groggy still from whatever's going on his dizziness but, but he's relieved there's no doubt about it he's he's pleased he's pleased he's worked it out he feels a bit smug about himself and shouting assuming that the uh, the good doctor can hear him he heads upstairs to bed it's there again that uh, another one of uh, the doctor's devices comes into play he becomes he lies on the bed but metal ropes or or bonds anyway shoot out from either side and envelop him pinning him down on this four-poster bed the uh, the, wi- the 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 stand above it the right above his head opens and down becomes a pendulum which begins to swing in an obvious uh, Edgar Allan Poe reference it slowly starts swinging towards his throat to cut him in two cut off his head in fact um he shouts again. He starts screaming about how, you know, a dead man can't pay debts and how ridiculous this is and what, what is the doctor trying to get at? It's all nonsense. He knows it's a trick. In the end, the pendulum stops after a tense few moments, just above his neck and doesn't cut him. After that, he basically... Malloy just blacks out. Absolutely blacks out. And awakes the next day. All the apparatus is now gone all the um, all the uh, pieces have disappeared and uh, he's able to go into the kitchen so he wakes, well he heads down to the kitchen and um, from there he suddenly, uh, well he sees a few things, one is that basically breakfast is always being co- already being cooked, but in like with using automation loads of different machines and other is that uh, the doctor, Mazzy, is on a TV screen uh, and then they get into a conversation about why all this is actually happening. Maisie says that it isn't just... It isn't really about a bet, but about revenge. In World War II, um, his father was a pianist and was questioned by the military. Um, Malloy had basically well overstepped the mark and poured gasoline onto the old man's hands and set them on fire and burnt them to the extent that he would never be able to play again. And from there, the doctor decided, on the, on the, well, the doctor decided on the deathbed of his father that he would get revenge for what's happened. And this is it. He said that he's not trying to scare him to death, but just give him a sense of fear, basically, and he's already exacted a revenge, not, not when all these tricks were going on, but afterwards, when um, he'd managed to, well, he'd drugged him while he'd been in the house, using the, while he be, because uh, Nielsen had stepped away for the coffee briefly. And he'd put instead um, a drug in there to, to knock him out, so not to poison him, but instead to let him do what he needed to do to him. He played. What he did was he um, he's injected him with an experimental drug. You see, the doctor is a biochemist, and he's created a um, a very particular and very unusual drug. This drug is able to change somebody on a molecular and cellular level. It can dissolve the bones. It changes the cells of the body, and it creates a person he's no longer like a man but closer to an earthworm and he said he tells uh, Malloy to look at his arm see where the pinprick had been he's already been injected and the damage has already been done and over the next six months basically Malloy is going to dissolve um, he tells him but, you know, understandably the colonel tells him he doesn't believe him it's nonsense I don't believe in this stuff, anyway. And there's no way such a compound could ever exist. But again, the doctor says to him, "Have a look downstairs. Have a look and see. One of my former colleagues. He was injected with it, and now, because he was a fat man, he's more like a slug." And then Malloy remembers the uh, the slime trail at the bottom downstairs. And he goes over to the door that leads to the basement and stops himself going down as he sees more drops of blood and a slime layer on the floor. It's really nasty. He's confused. He's upset. He doesn't want to believe and then returns to the TVs in almost defiance for our final play of the scene. So it's here that we discover the truth. That this was just another trick. An attempt for him to get revenge more than lose a bet in truth. He'd use money just to get him in. But the actual loser of all this was the man who was foolish enough to be tricked. All in this one haunted house. Right, okay, so the classic haunted house story. um, It's obviously, you know... It's something that uh, is used a lot. Uh, it's a bit of a classic kind of thing, um, you know. God, those stories have been knocking around for years. Um, since you know, <laughs> God, Castle Frankenstein, you know, or anything like that. It's the same kind of thing, you know. House on Haunted Hill from the fifties, you know. Come to a party, you know, you 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 win a million dollars if you can stay the night. Although in this case, you know, Malloy's sure changed, really. To be fair to him. At the same time, though, it's, it has a similar kind of feel because it is just all about murder and truth and not about, um, in actual fact, a uh, a haunting at all. Um. Originally, Theodore uh, J. Flicker was down, we wrote the teleplay, was down to direct it as well, but by this stage, he'd already had um, trouble with... Um, the story *House Bells* was a bad experience because, obviously, the pressures of Night Gallery Productions in terms of time limit and deadline. Um, so he turned it down. He, he kept on writing scripts, but he didn't want to do it. Um, I think he might have thought that, you know, it's it was a big one to bite off and chew. Uh, health Bells* was only like nine minutes with, <laughs> you know, he had problems there. With um, this, this would have took, you know, it, it you know it was a longer show. I mean, it comes in at. 38 and a half minutes so there's a lot more to do um and you know it, it there's a lot of special effects involved and there's a lot of uh, you need you need to build atmosphere and that kind of work takes time his, t- his script is, is very tight and you know the words work you know it works really well um Although, in my opinion, I think the, the, the final reveal it is almost far away, you know. It's, it's very much... I think that might be more the direction than anything, though. It's very much, you know... Are um, oh, you wrong. It was a trick. And then it finishes. Very abruptly. And, you know, some kind of extra establishing shot or something else could have really helped, you know, let that moment sink in before the story ends. Anyway, Jack Laird uh, decided to take over and direct... Which was his uh, his first um, his first proper directing gig. Um, He decided. Well, it was difficult. I mean, basically, it's a big. It was a big choice for him. It's something he wanted to get into. Um, He the trouble started because he made a a schoolboy error. Really, he uh, took too long. Uh, He got you know he, he got. They struggle to get to get a handle on how difficult such a tight uh, shooting deadline can be. Um, let's put it this way. Um, there's a quote from uh, Bert Astor, who was the unit manager. He fell on his ass on that one. We fell one day behind and had all kinds of problems with that segment. Thank God I wasn't there. so <laughs> also says uh, Les Burke. Jack shot, I think, 26 hours of film by the second day. What do you say to the executive producers, Sir, we're replacing you, sir. Right, of course you can't. You um, actually ran behind a day and a half in the end and uh, Universal were furious because it was costing them a fortune. This was a massively expensive production anyway because in terms of sets and special effects and now it was costing them even more. Um, Ralph uh, Sargio, who is assistant director on the segment, said, of course, I was assigned to Jack. He bombed so badly. I was with him till 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning. He felt that it was the end of his directing career. That was it. They wouldn't let him direct again anymore. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. Um, the, there's not just the um, the shorts that he does quite frequently, just to like you know, which were obviously done very quickly to fill the episodes. But also, um, he does Pickman's Model later on which, uh, I'm sure we'll all agree, uh, it, you know, is, is a bit of a classic. Um, I mean, for me, it's, you know, there's a lot going on. I mean, uh, you know, I've just given a couple of quotes from, uh, you know, an After Hours tour, um, the, uh, the Night guy book by S- uh, Scott Skelton and Jim Benson. And they seem, they, they love this episode, they really like it. And for me, it's a really good story and it's well done. But it's got it's it's got ups and downs. It's got real ups and downs. Um, right. First off, I'd say the special effects, for example, the physical work, like the slime on the floor or the um, the beds with the 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 swinging pendulum blade. That's um, that's really good. It's really really good. It looks great. But some of the more uh, special effects kind of stuff, the visual work, like at the beginning, there's a, the hunt and a bat flies towards the uh, the camera, I and mean, it's it's needless. You don't need that bat in that shot, and it, it makes it worse the fact that it's such a bad uh, match shot in terms of just being a, a, a basically a super, superimposed picture. Of fo- I mean, a you know animation. It's not great. Um, you know, and also the superimposed floating greeny yellow head uh, that that that's there. That's not great either. Although the ghost that moves towards him, that gets him to force him to fire the revolver, uh, first time out, is is great. It's really good. So it's kind of those special effects vary quite strongly. Um, where it does stand up a lot is what it's done. The people he's brought in to help him. He's friends with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, which is why, you know, and he, he asked them to do this this, this role, and uh, you can understand why he chose him, because there he does a great job. He starts goes from cocksure all the way to you know real fear and horror in a, in a short space of time, and he does it pretty masterfully. He has to cover a lot of range stuff, and also a lot of that story is is just him rattling around a house while things bang and clang, or or there's a screech or moans. And he has to react to all that and react to it well. And he does, he does really well with it. Um, So that's really good. Also, uh, director of photography Lionel Linton did uh, learn a massive favour on this. It looks brilliant. It's a really good looking story. Um, It's, yeah, it's, you know, there's all these different camera angles and it has a real, really strong, good quality haunted house vibe to it, which, which works great. Uh, Paul Glass again does a really good um, soundtrack. Able to mix in the piano at times as well to to call back to what had happened, you know, to, to the horrors of, of the Second World War, and the pianist whose hands were burnt. He does that brilliantly well. It's got a great deal of uh, of atmosphere to it, and it's it's it, it's you know it's got Laird shows that he's able to create. Um, Good tempo and uh, get a good 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 bit of tension going. Um, my opinion is that it does start quite suddenly. You know, there's no because of the I assume because of cash restraints rather than the fact that he's just filming and filming and filming. Um, there, there are not a huge amount of establishing shots that really work. You don't get a feel for the for house, and you need that in these kind of um, in these kind of stories. It's like uh, in the haunting. I mean, I know that's a film and a two-hour film with like that, but a good portion of that is just the setting up the the house itself and giving the ominousness of the building and of the rooms and give a feeling that the house has a as a feel you know a life of its own. Um, you know, there's 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 less of that, and particularly because you know uh, Malloy walks in, the door slams, and we're off. We are away, and that's a time constraint thing, admittedly. And then, obviously, at the end, there is a huge amount of exposition to try and get you to where you need to be to tell the story before the big reveal. And then that final shot, as I said before, it's very, very quick. I mean, he says it, and then the, it is the episode is over. It's done, and you're on to the next thing. And that's a shame, but um, it, it, you know, on the whole, I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's a cool episode. It's a good episode, and possibly one that um, did. Better than you would expect considering the pressures that people were under. Um, but despite all the uh, the atmosphere and that, I mean, you know, the real plaudits again have to go to uh, Leslie Nielsen, who's done a great job in just keeping everything together, keeping everything focused on him, and making an unusual and rather uh, a point silly story. I mean, after all, uh, despite the events of the night before, considering everything had been so many tricks. Would you actually shoot yourself, rather than you know try and find out the truth first, or try and find out a way to be cured? It seems a bit daft, considering the fact that he's been given a six-month-to-live limit. That he would, in an actual fact, just um, decide to keel over and kill himself in a you know in a big fu towards the guy who done it, rather than try and find some kind of way even to exact some kind of revenge himself or something else it seems unusual it, and to fair it seems out of character but then again that's linked to the other side of the story I suppose in terms of the fact that you know these these are all experiences he's never had before and the it is now the fear that has taken hold of him rather than anything else um, and Malloy is, is 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 a good character in terms of the fact that he appears to be somebody who's, who's never been sh- given never seen any fear before but now has an absolute bucket loads you know um. Yeah, so, for me, at the heart, is always going to be Neeson, and Neeson's, uh, Neeson's great rage, and also fear. You know, for a moment, just for a moment, I thought this was serious. But you know what I think, Matty? I think you just want to see me afraid. You want to reduce me to your level, right, Matsy? Well, I'm sorry, pal. That's one fraternity I refuse to join. Sorry, pal. Denny Malloy signing off. Right, just a usual bit of housekeeping. Um, if you want to... See, well, first off, go to the website, uh, www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. Um, there is Dimension X Suspense... Uh, the twilight zone podcast and also my all all, all the other uh, podcasts that we do um also you can well you can go there you can leave uh, feedback if you want or you can email me at chris at the com. uh also on the website is links to our twitter and our facebook if you want to talk to me personally my own private twitter is at orange underscore monkey um or, you know, if you want to just leave some feedback on, on one of the podcasts that's already gone, you can do, on the website. Um, just like Harold Obst did, um, he wrote to me, saying, uh, about the last episode, which I did, which was Silence, So Sneak Secrets Now, and said, This was the most intriguing po- podcast yet. Cheers, Harold. Um, <laughs> I read this story years ago in school, and it was subject to much debate. You don't really say if you, uh, if you liked it. I personally think it's one of the best Night Gallery segments, maybe because it's out the norm odd choice for the anthology. Curious why Jack Laird, who seems such a vulgarian in his taste, sees gaggy shorts, would agree to put this one on. Um, cheers for the feedback. I'm glad you liked the podcast and I'm glad you're you're enjoying it. And uh, obviously, I mean, silence, no secret snow. I mean, I I did put a lot of stuff up about that one because it's what it's, you know, I think it is a classic story so you can, it's good to be able to give a bit more to it. Um, sorry I didn't, um, actually say if I liked it or not that much. Um, The truth is, the first time I saw it, I didn't feel much for it at all, really. It just felt so out of place with the other stories. Um, You know, you're there for for, for shocks and scares, and it's far more mature than that. Obviously, coming back to it later on when I was a bit older, um, I would say that I do enjoy it. I actually think I prefer the 1966 Gene Kearney. Directed short, which is also on this this feed. Um, if you get a chance to look at that, I, I really recommend you do. I'd say I prefer that only because it has it's far more stark. It's a bit more experimental. It's in, in cinematography. It feels like it suits the story better. It kind of just fit. You know that otherworldly kind ofness of it. Um, I think by the time Kearney gets through to the new the new um, the new, but well, the 1971 version. I think he, you know, he's, he. I think he gets obsessed with trying to just tell the story, you know, in a in a different way. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it looks so lush. It looks great. You know, you got awesome Wells doing the narration. It's fantastic, and the story is still brilliant. But I don't think his actual work in directing it made it, you know, stand out particularly. Um, that said. The 66, his 66 version, I think is great as well, despite some, you know, for shortcomings with, with budget and stuff. I kind of wish you could amalgamate the two together. Obviously, Laird would never have stood for a black and white shot on the episode, but I think that, you know, if there's if there was a way just to do the same thing a bit differently, that would be great. And if he'd been a bit braver, maybe with some of his shots, it would have it would have pulled off a bit better. I think that's partly because of the fact that. Um, it you know it's a um, you know short sh- short time limits and you can't really experiment with what you do and you just got to chin out. I think that's it's a bit harsh on Kearney because obviously he can produce the goods when he when he wants to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do so to answer your question, yes, but it's a bit complicated. <laughs> it's a bit more complicated than that. I do enjoy it, but uh, I, I, do, I do have reservations about the story, about the episode. Sorry, about the story, so um, also in terms of Jack Laird, I mean. my opinion on some of the way he goes is when it comes to the scripts he was very hands on and yeah I mean he loves vampires and and like you know his first story is a a classic haunted house story the uh, next week's is the devil is not mocked which is again I mean that is that is a a, you know I mean I, I, I suppose that is really spoil heavy if you haven't seen that story already but you'll spot it a mile away but yeah I mean he loves that kind of stuff but I do think as well that he also liked the idea that he was able, he was given the directors a ways to experiment and do things differently, and um, I think he does that particular a lot with this, certainly um and like you know i mean if he, if he sees himself as being you know letting people experiment and do what they want, although obviously with some huge restraints and truth and um, I think that's where some of the patchy nature of the of the stories come from. I mean, but yeah, I mean, his personal taste, I mean, what he goes for, you know, is literally, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, bit of Lovecraft, and then Dracula, Frankenstein. Real old school Universal monster stuff, and it, you know, for better or for worse, it ain't great. Anyway, uh, as I just mentioned, next week we're going to talk about uh, The Devil Is Not Mocked which is uh a little bit shorter, obviously because it's um it's the second half of this episode. Um will talk about it next week, but uh I'll be in, I'll be interested to see what your opinions are if you've got uh, what you think. Uh I think a lot of people really like this, but um yeah, I don't know why. Um the the um, twist the, the seems really obvious to me, but maybe that's just me. Right, okay. Um until next week. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm.